when I published Ulysses by James Joyce in my little bookshop called Shakespeare and Company in Paris. Look, look, the dust is growing. My branches lost large in the Stately plump bug bargain. All perfume, yes, and his heart was going like mad. And yes, I said yes, I will, yes. Friends of Shakespeare and Company read Ulysses by James George. Read today by Sigrid Rousey. Opposite Ruggie O'Donoghue's Master Patrick O'Leary's Dignam, pouring the pound and half of Mangan's late fairenbugs, pork steaks he'd been sent for, went along warm Wicklow Street dawdling. It was too blooming dull sitting in the parlour with Mrs. Storr and Mrs. Quigley and Mrs. McDowell and the blind down and they all had their sniffles and sipping sups of the superior tawny sherry Uncle Barney bought from Tunnis, and they eating crumbs of the cottage fruitcake, drawing the whole blooming time and sighing. After Wicklow lay in the window of Madame Doyle, court-dressed milliner stopped him. He stood looking in at the two puckers stripped to their pelts and putting up their props. From the side mirrors, too, mourning Master's Dignam gaped silently. Myla Keogh, Dublin's pet lamb, will meet Sergeant Major Bennett, the Portobello Bruiser, for a purse of fifty sovereigns. God, that would be a good pucking match to see. Myla Keogh, that's the chap sparring out to him with a green sash. Two bar entrance, soldiers half price. I could easily do a bunk on Ma. Master Dingham on his left turned as he turned. That's me in mourning. When is it? May the 22nd. Sure, the blooming thing is all over. He turned to the right, and on his right, Master Dignam turned, his cap awry, his collar sticking up. Buttoning it down, his chin lifted, he saw the image of Mary Kendall, charming soubrette beside the two puckers. One of them mots that to be in the packets of fags through a smokes that his old fellow welted hell out of him for, one time he found out. Master Dignam got his collar down and dawdled on. The best pucker going for strength was Fitzsimmons. One puck in the wind from that fellow would knock you out into the middle of next week, man. But the best pucker for science was Jem Corbett before Fitzsimmons knocked the stuffings out of him, dodging and all. In Grafton Street, Master Dignam saw a red flower in the toff's mouth and a swell pair of kicks on him, and he listening to what the drunk was telling him and grinning all the time. No Sandy Mount tram. Master Dignam walked along Nassau Street, shifted a pork steaks to his other hand. His collar sprang up again and he tugged it down. The blooming stud was too small for the buttonhole of the shirt, blooming into it. He met schoolboys with satchels, I'm not going tomorrow either. Stay away till Monday. He met other schoolboys. Do they notice I'm in mourning? Uncle Barney said he'd get it into the paper tonight. Then they'll all see it in the paper and read my name printed and past name. His face got all grey instead of being red like it was and there was a fly walking over it up to his eye. The scrunch that was when they were screwing the screws into the coffin. 
and the bumps when they were bringing it downstairs. Pa was inside it and Ma crying in the parlour and Uncle Barney telling the men how to get it around the bend. A big coffin it was and high and heavy looking. How was that? The last night Pa was bruised. He was standing on the landing there, bawling out for his boots to go out to Tunnis for the bruised more and he looked butty and short in his shirt. Never see him again. Death, that is. Pa is dead. My father is dead. He told me to be a good son to Ma. I couldn't hear the other thing he said, but I saw his tongue and his teeth trying to say it better. Poor Pa. That was Mr. Dignam, my father. I hope he's in purgatory now. He went to confession to Father Conroy on Saturday night. William Humble, Earl of Dudley, and Lady Dudley, accompanied by Lieutenant Colonel Hesseltine, drove out after luncheon from the Vice-Regal Lodge. In the following carriage were the Honourable Mrs. Paget, Mr. Corsi, and the Honourable Gerald Ward, ADC, in attendance. The cavalcade passed out by the lower gate of Phoenix Park, saluted by obsequious policemen, and proceeded past Kingsbridge, along the northern quays. The Viceroy was most cordially greeted on his way through the metropolis. At Bloody Bridge, Mr Thomas Kernan, beyond the river, greeted him vainly from afar. Between Queen's and Whitworth bridges, Lord Dudley's vice-regal carriages passed and were unsaluted by Mr Dudley White, B.L., M.A., who stood on Aaron Key, outside Mrs M.E. White's, the pawnbroker's, at the corner of Aaron Street West, stroking his nose with his forefinger, undecided whether he should arrive at Phippsburg more quickly by a triple change of tram or by hailing a car or on foot through Smithfield, Constitution Hill and Broadstone Terminus. In the porch of four courts, Richard Golding, with a cost bag of Golding, Collis and Ward, saw him with surprise. Past Richmond Bridge, at the doorstep of the office of Reuben J. Dodd, solicitor, agent for the Patriotic Insurance Company, an elderly female about to enter, changed her plan, and retracing her steps by the king's windows, smiled credulously on the representative of his majesty. From his sluice in Woodkey Wall, under Tom Devon's office, Poddle River hung out in fealty a tongue of liquid sewage. Above the cross-blind of the Ormond Hotel, Gold by bronze, Miss Kennedy's head by Miss Deuce's head, watched and admired. On Norman Key, Mr. Simon Dedalus, steering his way from the greenhouse for the sub-sheriff's office, stood still in mid-street and brought his hat low. His Excellency graciously returned Mr. Dedalus's greeting. From Cahill's corner, the Reverend Huge C. Love, M.A., made obeisance unperceived mindful of Lord's deputies, whose hands benignant had held of your rich advisals. On Grattan Bridge, Lenham and McCoy, taking leave of each other, watched the carriages go by. Passing by Roger Green's office and Dollard's big red printing house, Gertie McDowell, carrying the Gatesby's cork line of letters for her father who was laid out, knew by the style it was the Lord and Lady Lieutenant, but she couldn't see what Her Excellency had on. 
because the tram and spring big yellow furniture van had to stop in front of her on account of it being the Lord Lieutenant. Beyond Landy Foots, from the shaded door of cavernous wine rooms, Joy Wise Nolan smiled with unseen coldness towards the Lord Lieutenant General and General Governor of Ireland, the Right Honourable William Humble, Earl of Dudley, GCVO, past Mickey Anderson's all-time sticking watches and Henry and James's wax, smart-suited, fresh-cheeked models, the gentleman Henry, Dania Cree, James. Over against Dame Gate, Tom Watchford and Nursey Flynn watched the approach of the cavalcade. Tom Watchford, seeing the eyes of Lady Dudley on him, took his thumbs quickly out of the pockets of his claret waistcoat and doffed his cap to her. A charming soubrette, great Marie Kendall, with dauby cheeks and lifted skirt, smiled daubly from her poster upon William Humble, Earl of Dudley, and upon Lieutenant Colonel H.G. Heseltine, and also upon the Honourable Gerald Ward, A.D.C. From the window of the D.B.C. Buck Mulligan, gaily, and Haynes, gravely, gazed down on the vice-wheel equipage over the shoulders of eager guests, whose mass of forms darkened the chessboard, when John Howard Pannell looked intently. In Francis Street, Dilly Dedalus, straining her sight upwards from Chardendale's first French primer, saw sunshades spanned and wheelsbooks spinning in the glare. John Henry Menton, filling the doorway of commercial buildings, stared from wine-bit oyster eyes, pulling a fat gold hunter watch, not looked at in his fat left hand, not feeling it, where the foreleg of King Billy's horse poured the air. Mrs. Green plucked her hastening husband back from under the hoofs of the outriders. She shouted in his ear the tidings. Understanding, he shifted his tones to his left breast and saluted the second carriage. The Honourable Gerald Ward, ADC, agreeably surprised, made haste to reply. At Ponsonby's corner, a jaded white flagon, H, halted, and four tall-hatted white flagons halted behind him, E. L. Wise, while outriders pranced past on carriages. Opposite Pickett's Music Rare Rooms, Mr. Dennis J. McGuinney, Professor of Dancing, etc., gaily appareled, gravely walked, outpassed by a viceroy and unobserved. By the provost's wall came jauntily blazes Boylan, stepping in tan shoes and socks with sky-blue clocks to the refrain of My girl's Yorkshire girl. Blazes Boylan presented to the leader sky-blue frontlets and high action, a sky-blue tie, a white-brimmed straw hat at a rakish angle, and a suit of indigo serge. His hands in his jacket pockets forgot to salute, but he offered to the three ladies the bold admiration of his eyes and the red flower between his lips. As they drove along Nassau Street, His Excellency drew the attention of his bowing concert to the programme of music which was being discoursed in Colleague's Park. Unseen brace and highland laddies blared and drum-tumped after the cortege. But though she's a factory lass and wears no fancy clothes, Barabum. Yet I have a sort of a Yorkshire relish for my little Yorkshire rose, Barabum. 
Thither are the wall, the quarter-mile flat handicappers, Mr. C. Green, H. Thrift, T. M. Patty, C. Scaife, J. B. Jeffs, G. N. Morphy, F. Stevenson, C. Adderley, and W. C. Huggard started in pursuit. Striding past Finn's Hotel, Cashel Boiler, Connor Fitzmaurice, Tistel Farrell, stared through a fierce eyeglass across the carriages at the head of Mr. E. Solomon's in the window of the Austro-Hungarian Vice-Consulate, deep in Leinster Street, by Trinity's Poston, a loyal king's man, hornblower, touched his tallyho cap. As the glossy horses pranced by Marion Square, Master Patrick Alyosius Dignam, waiting, saw salutes being given to the gent with the topper, and raised also his new black cap with fingers greased by pork steak paper. His collar too sprang up, the Viceroy, in his way to inaugurate the Mirror's Bazaar, in aid of funds for the Mercer's Hospital, drove with his following towards Lower Mount Street. He passed a blind stripling opposite Broadbent's. In Lower Mount Street, a pedestrian in a brown Macintosh, eating dry bread, passed swiftly and unscathed across the Viceroy's path. At the Royal Canal Bridge from his warning, Mr Eugene Stratton, his blub lips a grin, made all comers welcome to Pembroke Township. At Haddington Road Corner, two sanded women halted themselves, an umbrella and a bag, in which eleven cockles rolled to view with one that Lord Mayor and Lord Mayoress without his golden chain. On Northumberland and Lansdowne Road, His Excellency acknowledged punctually salutes from rare male walkers, the salute of two small schoolboys at the garden gate of the house said to have been admired by the late Queen when visiting the Irish capital with her husband, the Prince Consul, in 1849, and the salute of Almidano Atifone's sturdy trousers swallowed by a closing door.